From the Bob Marley Studio in Orlando, Florida, you're listening to The Diz Unplugged. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion Email Edition for July 19th, 2008. From Orlando, Florida, I'm your host, Pete Werner. Joined this week by Will Perry, Walter Eccles, Kevin Close, and John Magi. Corey and Julie Martin are on vacation this week. Uh, we're going to do uh, mostly, at the very least, mostly voicemails, if not all voicemails today. got a lot of them. Uh, a lot of good voicemails have come in. And uh, you really want to stay tuned to the end of the show. If you listened to last week's, uh, last week's email show, our friend from St. Cloud, Stephen Rickert, had written in with a question, and I was kind of busting on him a little bit and told him that uh, he needs to uh, he needs to sing if he wants to, if he wants to get played on the show, and uh, jokingly said uh, he should sing sing uh, shares believe the song believe. Well, he did it. <laughs> so at the end of the show, you'll get to hear Stephen Rickard's version of believe. Very funny, really good stuff. So with that out of the way, oh, actually, before we get actually into the voicemails, I'll just do the usual spiel. If you'd like to send us an email, it's podcast at www.info.com uh, to leave us a voicemail toll-free in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, 877-310-9662. If we pl- uh, read your email or play your voicemail on the show, you will get your choice of a Diz Unplugged uh, T-shirt or pin and lanyard. And at the end of every month, we select... A minimum of one listener who we played or read on the show. That person gets to pick a number that's programmed into our little prize matron over here, number one through 50. Each number corresponds to a different prize. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Uh, two podcast cruises waiting to be one. And uh, I even snuck in a uh, trip to Disneyland, is in there somewhere as well. So. Along with you know lots of other cool stuff, you know behind the scenes tours, all that neat stuff, iPods, a lot of cool stuff to be given away. So, again, podcast at wdwinfo.com via email for voicemail, toll free in the United States, Canada, and Mexico one eight seven seven three one zero nine six six two. And with that out of the way, we're going to go ahead and get started. Our uh, first voicemail today comes to us from Greg Durham. In Benton Harbor, Michigan. This is actually the first of two voicemails on this particular topic, uh, having to deal with generally the closing of Pleasure Island, but specifically the end of the Adventurers Club. So here is Greg. Hello to my favorite podcast team. This is Greg Durham from Benton Harbor, Michigan, and I'd just like to put out an SOS call to all members of the Adventurers Club. Our beloved club is under threat of closure. A number of sites are now accepting petition signatures to help us convince the powers that be that the club should not suffer this fate. It may be a long shot, but we must try. The Adventures Club was the world's one true Disney night club. Okay, does anybody else think he sounds angry? <laughs> Listen, I'm not getting involved in this. Bad right, things happen. All right, let's... People who disagree with them. Oh, I agree. Oh, I agree 100% with them. I'm going to let him put his petition on the homepage. Are you kidding me? All right, let's hear the rest of his voicemail. Thanks, Diz Unplugged, for having the premier Disney podcast. If all of your listeners get on the bandwagon, we may just stand a chance. Congaloosh! Congaloosh. Congaloosh. Now, for those of you who are just not familiar 
I said, I think I've got a couple people in this room right now who don't know what the heck we're talking about. Teresa has this look on her face over like, at, over what have at, I got myself into? Over at Downtown Disney, Pleasure Island, which is going to be closing uh, September 27th, I believe was the date. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the clubs they have there is called the Adventurers Club. Now, of course, Downtown Disney is, or, or Pleasure Island is all about nightclubs. And uh, Adventurers Club is, is along that line. It's themed around, uh, you know, what you would expect. Uh, how, do you, how do you put it? It's themed around like a hunting a hunting club from or, the 1930s. From like the 1930s, and you you know there's all these characters walking around, you know, playing these different roles, different characters within the adventurous club, all members of the club, so to speak. Very funny. Do a whole show throughout the night. Uh, Congaloosh is one of their things. They make everybody say it's like their their chant or their cheer. <laughs> Uh, there's even a drink, a signature drink there called the Congaloosh, I believe, that everybody who tries it likes it. But it's a very popular place. It's very unique, a lot of fun. And, of course, with the announcement a few weeks ago that Pleasure Island was going to be closing, there are more than a few people who are extreme. They don't care about the rest of it. They're closing the Adventurers Club, and Disney is really going to have to address this. It's got a strong following out there. And they're going to unnecessarily alienate or upset an awful lot of big fans. We're not talking about the casual Disney visitor here. We're talking about Disney's highest affinity group, the people who are going to come back two and three times a year, that come here every year for ten years. And this is a place they want to go. And it's a big place. It's an important place. It's a popular place. And they're taking it away. So Greg has a petition going. And uh, our next voicemail, we're just going to go right into that, is Michael Alexander, who also has some comments and questions about the closing of Pleasure Island and the Adventurers Club. So here's Michael. Good morning. This is Michael Alexander, Banner Mouse on the Boards. Uh, Late last week I had sent in an email to you all asking if someone from the group could go to and do a review on the Adventurers Club. Well, with the announcement that Pleasure Island is closing, including Adventurers Club, not sure if that email is still valid. I do have another question, though, concerning the club. What do you think about the possibility that Disney would keep it and move it to a new location? There's some talk on the board that possibly moving it to the boardwalk area. What do you all think about that? And if Disney does keep it and move it to a new location, then my original email would still work, and could one of you or a couple of you or all of you go on to the Adventurers Club and do a review on it? And maybe even if it does close, you could do a review on it because it is one of the most unique things that Disney has had. Um, oh, by the way, I forgot, y'all are all great, informative and hilarious. Keep up the great job. Your podcast is by far the best. A special hello to Corey and Julie. I'm from the Denver Springs Walker area just outside of Baton Rouge. Go Tigers, go Diz. Y'all do a great job. Keep it up. All right, well, thank you very much for that, Michael, and also Greg. Um, first, as far as is Disney going to... Uh, Move the Adventurers Club. It's anybody's guess. Or everything that's right, it's out there right now is rumors. I would have to imagine it's at least been discussed. And if they are going to move it, I really can't think of a better fit for it than the boardwalk. Do you guys agree? Or Animal Kingdom Lodge would fit also. Yeah, that's true. It would. And I'm one of those people who doesn't care if they close it. Uh, see, I do. I do. I haven't been there in a long time, but it is a great... Uh, I think it's probably very expensive to run. Well. That's a lot of salaries per night. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know that much about 
how it's what its finances are, but if anybody can figure out a way to make it uh, profitable, it's Disney. And I get bad news for people. It's going away. There's No matter what you do, they're not going to keep it in Pleasure Island. That well, whole, they won't keep it in Pleasure Island, but, you know, uh, what's to say that it couldn't be moved to oh, another I'm location? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying all the people are saying save the Adventures Club. A lot of people are talking about, well, why can't you just leave it there and build stuff around it? No, they're going to knock all that stuff down and redo all those buildings. So Now, Michael, in terms of doing a review before it closes... I'm not going to say no, but I really can't make a commitment and say yes at this point either, only because we have a pretty uh, – I'm just taking a look at the show schedule for the next few weeks. It's a pretty tight schedule. I might be able to get it in sometime in September, but as of right now, we're pretty we're pretty booked up in terms of our segments. So I'm not sure – if I do, you'll get to pick a number. If I don't, you won't. There you go. There you go. Uh, now, as for you, Greg, and uh, help with the petition, absolutely. We'll put links anywhere you want. We'll put something up on the homepage if you like. Just uh, send me a link to the petition, which, whatever you've got set up, and we'll absolutely uh, we'll absolutely do that. I, I would hate to see it go. I would hate to see it go. Obviously, it's not going to stay at Pleasure Island. Look, I'll tell you that now. No matter what happens, as John said, it's leaving Pleasure Island. But it could very easily end up somewhere else. It, it all depends on how many people say we want it. Well, you said there's a couple sites that are adding, or have their own petitions. So sounds like there was a big fan following, and uh, yep. get them all together, get all those positions in one format, and you might have a shot. You yeah. know? Disney's not real good about doing that, though. Yeah, no, it hasn't. It hasn't worked with anything worked. else. Mister Toad's Wild Ride is really right. going. But but every Magic Kingdom again, is gone. That's what I was thinking of. Every now and again, though, every now and again, there's an out, there's an outpouring of anger on the internet that gets Disney's attention. We have seen some things happen. I remember one year, it was about three or four years ago, when Disney was not going to release annual pass holder rates when they normally would because they were doing well. They didn't need to. People on our site and many others were apoplectic that they weren't going to get their annual pass holder discounts. And lo and behold, Disney bowed to the pressure and because people were pissed that was one of the angriest I've ever seen. You know, and Disney's not, you know, I don't want to get too much into it. Disney's not obligated to give anything, any discounts to anybody. Um, but it worked. It worked. They got the discount. So uh, I'd be very interested to see what happens with the Adventurers Club. I would love to try and get in there before the 27th, but we'll see what happens. So thank you both, Michael and Greg, for that. Uh, we're going to move on to our next voicemail. And this is actually a follow-up uh, from Bruce in Pennsylvania. He was listening a few weeks ago, and we talked uh, when one of our listeners was asking for advice about Walt Disney World with toddlers, and he has some suggestions of his own. So here is Bruce from Pennsylvania. Hi, Dave's crew. This is Bruce from Pennsylvania. I was listening to your last email show, and uh, a listener, I believe his name was Kenny, was asking about things to do with toddlers down Disney, and I... And I even though I thought the feedback was great, there was one thing I thought uh, I wanted to add to it, having uh, two kids of uh, young age myself. Uh, one thing that my wife and I take full advantage of that I think Disney does better than anybody else is the, the character experiences, whether it's the character dining or the character shows or just the plain uh, character meeting, meeting read. I, I think it's something that you can occupy a lot of your time. And uh, when, our, when our daughter was younger, Honestly, I think we spent a third of our time just meeting the, the characters, and 
being uh, Disney geeks and watching the faces of uh, the joy that came out of those experiences was just uh, there's just nothing that compares to that. So I just wanted to add that uh, as, as another option for toddlers. I guess that goes without saying. Uh, it all depends on how uh, the toddler reacts to seeing a five and a five and a half foot mouse in person. So thanks again, as always, for the great work. Well, thank you very much for that, Bruce. That's uh, actually a great suggestion. I didn't even think of that the character uh, character interactions with toddlers. Um, the question that had been asked a few weeks ago is, you know, is there anything to, that you can do in Disney World with toddlers? And, in fact, there's many things you can do. Most of the rides are appropriate for uh, young children. Uh, you also have the baby swap option. But as, uh, as Bruce points out, don't overlook the character experiences, especially back in Toontown, Mickey's Toontown, which is where they do a lot of them. You get to go line up in Mickey's house and all of the sorts of weird Mickey's things. House, yeah. Um, this is also raise a good point for the parties. If you're worried about taking a toddler to Mickey's not so scary Halloween party, or Mickey's very merry Christmas party, you, we see it all the time. The toddlers love the dance parties, where the characters are there dancing with them and the music. They just go nuts. So if you're worried about what's the toddler going to get out of those parties, that's a big thing. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. We appreciate that. Our next voicemail comes to us from Marilee in upstate New York, who has a question or some comments I think maybe Walter will be able to speak to. Are they about hedgehogs? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's about plants. So here is Walter. Or, Hi, uh, Pete, John, Kevin, Julie, Corey, Will, Walter. This is Marilee, Corky441 on the boards. I'm from Chicktawaka, New York. It's a suburb of Buffalo, and supposedly it means land of the crabapple tree in Native American. And as you all know, of course, Buffalo translates to land of the chicken wing. Just kidding on that one. <laughs> I was outside watering my plants this morning, and by the way, it's 75 and 20% humidity. Ha, ha. And it dawned on me that I've never heard any of you mention that you were gardeners. I tend to think not. What with it being hard to grow plants when it's hotter than the surface of the sun outside? And also the fact that I can only imagine that your dis board and podcast duties don't allow for much free time. But I was just wondering just the same. I also have a tip for first-time visitors to Florida. I know in the past you've discussed allergies and other medical issues on the podcast, but I thought it might be helpful to let people know that even if they're never experienced allergies where they live, it's a whole different world in Florida. There are bugs and plants down there that people have never been in contact with. The coastal areas have those wonderful little invisible no bugs. I found out the hard way that a lot of people have a severe allergic reaction to their bite. Also, plant life is very different in Florida. Again, learning from personal experience, I go with the look and don't touch approach any right now. Oleander, a beautiful tree that is used in landscaping, is poisonous and can cause an allergic reaction on the skin. So, be forewarned. After my first run-in with the beastie bugs, a pharmacist suggested that taking one Benadryl tablet a day before traveling to Florida to get my antihistamine levels up and to continue the dosage throughout my stay. Also, there are many over-the-counter topical NIH sprays available, and they are most soothing when you just get a skin rash from an unknown plant variety. I tend to never travel to Florida again without either of these. I hope this just might help some of the listeners who are planning a trip in the future. 
Keep up the great work, guys. The podcasts are wonderful. And also, welcome back to Kevin and John. Well, thank you very much, uh, Marilee, for the uh, for the phone call. Walter, what's it like? Uh, I, I thought Walter would be good at answering this because Walter is, you know, he's plant boy, and he is like animal boy. So, um, what's it what's it like gardening in Florida? Can you garden here? You can. You have to do it early in the morning or late in the evening because lately it's been uh, in the nineties. And with 80% humidity, it feels like it's 100 and something, so you really can't do a whole lot during the day. But, yeah, I mean, you can do a lot of gardening. My uh, my house looks nice. i got a lot of flowers. Oh, yeah. And my specialty here is orchids because it's Florida, so you can grow a lot of beautiful plants. Um, you bring up a good point because a lot of times, since I lived in Georgia and Florida, I would know that some of the plants would be poisonous, especially some of the ones that look good. But if, if you're not familiar with that, maybe the uh, look-but-don't-touch uh, they might be good because the oleander, a lot of people just see a beautiful bush with lots of flowers on it and wouldn't know that they were allergic. As far as bug bites go, Pete and I found something in a uh, nature's, in a uh, whole food type store. Before. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was right. called Windermere, and it's just called bug repellent. And it smells like a cologne. It smells wonderful. And you mix well, it. Well, I wouldn't say wonderful. But. I thought it smelled good. Anyway, it's not greasy. It's not like some of the other repellents. And you just mix it with whatever cream you're going to put on or with water and we were in uh, the middle of a jungle you mean like sunblock right yeah, yeah we say cream lotion whatever kind of lotion you want to put on mm-hmm. moisturizer remember we put that on when right. we went to the jungle we never got bitten by a bug yeah we were in the jungles of belize and uh, in honduras and never got bit by anything hmm. we weren't shorts that's because the bugs are as big as birds out there you see them coming a mile away well she's right about the no seams because you can't do anything, and then when they bite you, you got the little uh, red welts all over you. So something like that would be good. It's a very, um, it's a bug repellent that's not greasy. It's not, uh, oh, it doesn't smell bad. They, I knew that we did that, and that was Windermere, was the name of it, and they simply said bug repellent. It, it, the, 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 the name of brand it, name. The brand name was Windermere. Yes, and it simply says bug repellent. And this was, yeah, this was like an herbal solution. It was an all natural. An all natural solution. Yeah, it wasn't like a, you know, off or whatever. Um, plants other than oleander, anything anybody should watch for in terms of poisonous? A lot of people are allergic to papaya, and they're not going to know that. Because a lot of people aren't going to know what papaya looks like. But I know if you're allergic to papaya, even touching it, you'll get a reaction. Of course, unfortunately, a lot of the plants, you're not going to know until after you touch them. Uh, so it's probably good for anybody who is prone to allergies to begin with, that, uh, that policy of look, don't touch. It's probably a good idea. Yeah, especially little kids don't know what they're doing. So, you know, a lot of, like palm trees, a lot of palm trees you would not think has thorns. But if you touch a lot of the palm trees, they have gigantic needles sticking out of them. Yeah. So you can really get, get hurt if you don't know what you're doing. So I think look and don't touch would be a good idea. By the way, it was some good advice, um, some unusual advice that we don't normally hear, but things that, you know, people are going to experience coming down here, especially where allergies are concerned. I know Benadryl is Wal- good, yeah, like she was saying. Walter can absolutely uh, empathize with anybody dealing with allergies, especially down here. It's been a terrible season. It's been a terrible season. Uh, there's a lot of ragweed. There's a lot of... I don't know what's going on, but I've had one of the worst years for allergies that I've had in a long time. Yeah, it's it's been oh, he's been awful. He's been awful with allergies. So, well, I appreciate that, uh, Marilee. We thank you very much for calling in, John. You got an email you want to read? Uh, Kevin has one he wants to read. Kevin actually, mine is from Kevin in Chicago. 
And Kevin says, first, thanks so much for the show each week. I also wanted to pass along a thank you for last year's December podcast meet. You were very generous in throwing in a great event, and everyone was so welcoming. I have a question for your Christmas in July month. When I called a couple of weeks ago to book a uh, candlelight dinner packages for Party of Two, there was no availability for the restaurants I wanted, even though they had just gone on sale. So I took your advice when I told them I was actually a Party of Three. They then said they had openings all evening. For years, I've been struggling through the process, so thank you much, so much for your advice. My question is, given that this is a candlelight processional package and not a normal dinner, is there any risk I'll be charged for the fixed price of three instead of two, or is the same process applicable where I can change my party size when I arrive? Also, I can only guess it's a matter of time until Disney does something to prevent this. I'm both at Disneyland and Walt Disney World several times a year and always wonder, wonder if I'll run into one of you, but it hasn't happened yet. I'll be down in October and December at Walt Disney World and look forward to any events you might be scheduling again this year. Kevin, first of all, you had to leave a credit card when you booked your candlelight processional package. So yes, Disney, if you don't cancel one of those people, Disney's going to charge you for three people. You have a 48-hour window in which to cancel that uh, reservation. 48 hours prior to it starting. Right. 48 hours prior to your actual event. I would just call back and cancel one of the people that you're on, that's on the schedule. They're not going to take your reservation away from you because you canceled one person. They're just going to tell you, okay, we'll cancel one of those people. But make sure you do definitely cancel for the simple fact that you will be charged. Cool. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, our next voicemail will come to us from Lisa from North Dakota, who has some questions about Christmas, the holidays, on Disney Cruise Line. So here is Lisa. Hi, Pete and the rest of the podcast team. This is Lisa from North Dakota, also known as ND Mommy on the Disboard. First of all, let me say how much I love listening to the Dis Unplugged. My husband gave me an iPod for my birthday in February, and the very first podcast I downloaded onto it was yours, and I've been hooked ever since. Thank you for all the time and effort that you put into each and every podcast. My question is about taking a Disney cruise during the holidays. I've always wanted to visit Walt Disney World during Christmas to see the beautiful decorations and to experience all the Disney holiday magic. However, the idea of the huge crowds and long lines are just a big turnoff for me. So I started thinking about taking a Disney cruise during the holiday season instead. Could a Disney holiday cruise be as special as spending the holidays in the parks? Do they do anything unique on the cruises for Christmas? I'm sure they probably decorate the ship, but do they have any special parties or events or activities? Thank you for any information or advice you can give me. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. John. Uh, Lisa, we're going to do a, a, one of our Christmas in July shows. We're going to talk about Disney Cruise Line in detail but Disney Cruise Line is similar to what I talked about this week in the Disney Resorts. Disney Cruise Line will decorate. They will do good stuff, cool stuff for Christmas. It's just not, you're not going to have a schedule of what's going to happen. There's not going to be, you know, you're not going to know in advance that on this day there'll be a party or on this day they'll have someone singing. But they'll definitely make it feel like Christmas for you, not only on the cruise ship, but also on um, their private island of Castaway Key, which is really cool to get off the ship and see it all decorated for Christmas. It's a great experience. So don't let it not feeling like Christmas stop you from taking a Disney cruise. It's a lot of fun at Christmas time. I agree. <laughs> You're a ball of fire this afternoon. Yeah, really. You? You're on That's fire. It. I, haven't done, yeah, I haven't done DCL at, uh, for the holidays, so I really can't. I really can't speak to it. We were on a. I'm sorry. We were on a Thanksgiving cruise, and they were. 
they had decorated the ship one night, and you woke up, and the ship was decorated, and Castle Key was decorated. So it was. Cool. It was the only time I've ever gotten seasick on a Disney cruise. Really? We were sitting in the main dining room, and I apologize. I don't remember if it was Tritons or Lumiere's, whatever's on the, the Wonder. Tritons. And next to the staircase entering the restaurant, there were these two very tall, slender, silver Christmas trees that apparently had been built in sections. And the gentle rocking of the boat made the top of the Christmas tree sway back and forth. And I was just mesmerized by it. It was They were all sparkly, and I sat there and watched them long enough that they made me physically ill. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you very much, Lisa. Like I said, um, I haven't done DCL for the holidays, so I can't speak from experience, but we know that uh, they do a lot of stuff. They always do a lot of stuff. So hopefully you will have a great time on your on your Christmas cruise. Uh, our next... What? I want to read one. Oh, okay. I have one from Janet in Longhorn, Pennsylvania. I'm enjoying very much your Christmas in July series. I would like to hear the team's take on the Osborne Family Christmas Light Show. I went for the first time four years ago and was very disappointed. Many of the lights were burnt out and not on, and I found um, the transportation from the park to the hotel to be lacking. Also, park personnel were very scarce. I couldn't find a park photographer, trash man, or anyone to ask for assistance. Uh, We've not been back for the Christmas celebration since. We've moved our annual vacation to October, November now, but I would love for my four-year-old to experience the light show at least once. Has Disney improved the maintenance? Have they or will they be changing the bus boat service to accommodate the crowds? Are there more personnel employed at the holidays? When is the best time to go? She, is she sure she was at Disney World? And yeah, not really. Like downtown Kissimmee? I was just going to say, this is not the experience I've ever had Never. for Osborne Lights. Never. So that's why I wanted to read this. Um, Janet, I think you had a really, really bad night, a really off night or something. I gotta tell you, I don't think I've ever seen one light bulb out. I was alone, shocked yeah. to hear that. I, I can't imagine. And cast members are kind of so thick you can trip over them. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if there's not somebody selling you glow stuff, there's someone trying to to get you a hot co- uh, cocoa or something. Right. Yeah, and they're on the streets giving you uh, advice on where to go and where to look and when to listen for the the, the lights to. I don't know how long ago she went. But they've changed it, and it's now on the streets of America, where it used to be the back street or the the residential street. It's a different experience. And we were talking, I don't remember, I think it was last week, uh, about whether or not they were going to have the dancing lights this week. I was looking at Disney's website, and they have announced that they will be the Osborne dancing lights again this year. Excellent. And we have that video on the site. I should we link to it last week. We'll link to it. Well, we're going to keep those links up there for uh, for the month of July, but... Got a lot of video up there to take a look at. Um, I'm not, yeah, but like, like John said, I, I'm shocked to hear that because uh, I've never had anything but awesome experience at Osborne. And even our transportation comment, yeah, Disney is really crazy at that time of year. There's a lot of people. There's big crowds. So you're going to have delays getting on the boats and getting on the buses. But there's never a lack of them. You know, the buses are always lined up waiting to take the next group of people. It still may take you a long time to get back to your resort. Yeah, there's no such thing as any kind of instantaneous transportation unless you drive your own car. Right. Unless you have a car on, uh, on site with you. And I can tell you, even then, the crowds are so bad that what happens is Osborne lights take uh, place at the end of the night when the park is going to close. So that's when everyone's exiting anyway. So even if you're in your own car, you're going to be in a line and if, to get if the, out of the park. If the crowds were that bad, I'm assuming she was there the week after Christmas and before New Year's, which is the busiest week of the year. Earlier on in December, like I said, you know, Disney can get busy, 
but it's by no definition crowded. And I don't, I, I don't know. I just, I yeah, I feel bad that you had such a bad yeah, experience. So but it's such a, it's such a, it's one of the the best aspects of Disney for Christmas. I think is the Osborne lights. I agree. So well, let's hope, let's hope you get a chance to do it uh, this year and next year, and that you have a much better experience with yeah. it. But thank you very much for for writing in. Uh, our next voicemail comes to us from Liz in Cypress, Texas, who has some interesting feedback after being at Walt Disney World in early June during Gay Days. So here is Liz. Hi, this is Lynn from Cypress, Texas. I'm Carolina Gal on the boards, and I just wanted to call and give my impression of the infamous Gay Days at Disney World to give some input for your listeners who may have concerns in the future. My family and I just returned from Disney World a couple of weeks ago, and we were actually at the parks during Gay Days. Please let me emphasize that I am not intending to pass judgment, push any particular position or agenda, or inflame any controversy. I just wanted to report on this visitor's experience this past June. Now, I booked our vacation without any regard to the scheduled gay days because I needed to have these particular dates in June. Once I discovered that it was indeed the same weekend, I was very concerned, but only because of the crowd levels. I just wasn't sure what to expect. After research on the net, I actually ended up planning our in-park days to match those on the scheduled gay day calendars, and I'll tell you why. The gay day participants have very full schedule, as can be seen on websites like gaydays.com. We found that for the most part, the parks actually had a very reasonable crowd sizes early in the morning and tended to start filling up just before lunchtime. They stayed very busy until after the afternoon parade and then the crowds really seemed to dissipate quickly as the participants left for their evening events. My family arrived at park opening every day, rode a bunch of rides all morning, and planned a nice sit-down lunch to cool off. Then we headed back to the resort to nap and rest, and then returned after the parade to enjoy the evening. We had great wait times generally, so good, in fact, that I am looking at planning our next trip around the same days just to take advantage of the smaller crowds. We did not see any inappropriate behavior and certainly no one walking around in drag. In fact, we only recognized participants by the fact that they were wearing red shirts and that many were wearing those cute little rainbow Mickey pins. I will say, however, that Winnie the Pooh seemed to have a very large fan club at this time. Anyhow, I hope this impression is helpful for your listeners. Thanks again, gang, for all that you do. Well, thank you very much, Liz. For that feedback, that's very. Uh, uh, Her name is Lynn. Lynn, oh, I'm sorry, Lynn. I apologize, uh, Lynn. It's very interesting feedback on Gay Days. Conventional wisdom is if you're going to be in town during Gay Days, you hit the park that is not the designated park for that day. Um, but your, you know, your your advice works in any crowded situation, uh, whether it's Gay Days or anything else. Uh, hitting it early in the morning, getting some rides in easing up in the afternoon, and then right after that 3 o'clock parade, uh, it really starts to dissipate. I imagine it would be a lot more pronounced over gay days because of the scheduled events going on in the evening and that a lot of the participants who are in the parks are going to be leaving for that. So um, I I think that's great. Now, for those who are not familiar, uh, gay days is an event, a a a quote-unquote non-sanctioned event that goes on the first uh, first weekend of uh, June every year. 
uh, as a as an unofficial or non-sanctioned event. It is not listed on any of Disney's uh, schedules. People are not advised of it. Um, it's been a great deal of controversy on our site over the years, and I'm not going to get into it today. But there's been a great deal of controversy on the site over the years that you know, people, some people don't want to be in the parks in the Magic Kingdom on gay days, and they get angry with Disney for not telling. I think this is you know there are people who you know as in Lynn's case, those are the only dates that were going to work. That's when she had to be there, and you can go and have your park experience. And just be conscious of the crowds and adjust your touring plan and your schedules accordingly. And as with any other large crowd, I think you'll find it's uh, it's workable. So uh, there was some very good advice because, like I said, it does go against conventional wisdom. I also want to say, too, we've said this over and over again. The official, quote-unquote, traditional gay day is the first Saturday in June. And that's at the Magic Kingdom. While these uh, sites say other days or other parks, a lot of the participants who are there are really there for the special events. So the biggest crowd is usually Magic Kingdom that first Saturday in June. So while you know M- uh, Disney Hollywood Studios is scheduled for, I don't know, let's say it's a Monday or something, you're really not going to see the huge influx into those parks because people are there for other things and not just experiencing Disney. Now, of course, the Disney fans are going to be there, so they'll probably go every day that they're supposed to go. So. Right. But that's that. I want to talk about another group while, while we're on the subject of big groups at Disney. This is the time of year for Brazilian tour groups. And uh, I learned a couple interesting things about the Brazilian tour groups that I didn't know before actually going to the Apple Store. We think of them in, in Disney in terms of these large groups that have similar color T-shirts on and they've got their, slogo, their, their logos on them and slogans from the travel agency that they book through. These groups actually spill over into the local malls. The mall was packed. And I mean not just because people were trying to get iPhones. The mall was, you couldn't move. Everybody was buying stuff and going crazy. And they said, the salespeople said, the Brazilian tour groups are now done with the parks and they're coming to the mall. So you're going to see those crowds spill over into other areas. And the other thing we learned was, I didn't know this, you guys might know this, this is a tradition that when kids graduate high school, it's a traditional uh, gift to give them to come to Disney World. And I didn't come realize to that. Yeah, so that's why we see the influx of them in the summer months. I think I think Americans should take that uh, that give, tradition up. Give their kids a trip well, to yeah, Disney whenever. World. So I thought this was very interesting because when we see them, we only think of you know the masses of people walking through the park, everyone wearing a yellow shirt and following the person carrying the flag. But we've experienced that we saw them at Best Buy, and it's just. You couldn't even move. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah, big crowds. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, John. Thank you very much, Lynn, for calling in. John, you have one? I do. I have one from Jim in Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you recommend driving to parks over taking the bus, particularly Animal Kingdom and, Ho- and Disney's Hollywood Studios? As far as transportation, it's going to depend on your resort, where you're staying, what's going to be easier. Um, if you're at one of the, the Epcot Resort area hotels, the bus to Disney Hollywood Studios is very convenient. But any other thing, any other a resort, it's really hard to get to Disney Hollywood Studios. Yeah. And unless you're at Animal Kingdom Lodge, the Animal Kingdom is tough too. Again, the things you have to consider are the price it's going to cost you the park, but also the extra effort to get into and out of these parks, um, depending on where you park in the parking lot, whether or not you want to take your car. You've heard us say it a million times before. 
time is more important to us personally, right. many of us on the roundtable. So I think many of us would opt for driving if you had the chance. Something that I think confuses some people is you only have to pay to park once a day. If you park at Disney Hollywood Studios, you can then, if you decide to jump to Epcot, you can move your car to Epcot without paying a second time. You get a parking voucher for your window, and then you've paid for the day. Great. Well, thank you very much for that, John. Kevin, you have one? I do. My email is from George Higgins in Lemonster, uh, Massachusetts. And this is for all of us at the Pod Squad. Uh, he hopes he find this email finds us all well. His question is about the December holiday season and Disney pins. My wife and I will be experiencing Walt Disney World for the first time in December. In addition, my sister and her husband are staying with us at Saratoga Springs, and this is their very first Disney experience. My wife and I have been thinking about Disney pins, what would be a nice souvenir to collect during our visit. We do not expect to become serious collectors or traders, and therefore we really don't need collecting pointers. What we hoped the Pod Squad can help us with is if any of the, are there any pin events or must-dos during the holidays? Are there certain stores in the parks or downtown Disney that have exclusive Hollywood offer Hollywood, excuse me, holiday offerings? We have already acquired some lanyards and trader pins and hope to acquire some nice Disney pins either via trade or purchase during our visit. We hope this is something you could help us with and appreciate all you do. Take care, George. All right, George. I'm an ex-pin collector, pin trader. First of all, there are no pin events during the holidays. There have been in the past. The only pin event scheduled so far this year is the Walt Disney World Pin Celebration, September 5th through the 7th, 2008. That will be held at Epcot. There are Disney releases pins for virtually every occasion, and there are more holiday pins than you'll ever be able to acquire. If you've got some pins and you're looking to trade, look for cast members wearing lanyards. Uh, In the past, they only wore lanyards, but some of them now have these little sort of like placards that hang from their belt or like an apron string or something. If a cast member is wearing pins on a lanyard or on this little placard, they're obligated to trade with you. There are some certain rules that go along with this. If the cast member is already wearing the pin that you have, they don't have to take that pin. It has to be a Disney pin. It has to be marked Disney on the back. It has to have the Disney trademark. But other than that, the options are fairly open. Trading with other guests, that's not no a guest is not obligated to trade with you. A guest is, it's based on mutual agreement. But cast members will trade with you. It's a great way to have some cast member interaction, too. Uh, As far as stores, I believe each park has a location. I know Epcot has Pin Central right behind Spaceship Earth. Disney Hollywood Studios has, there are pins at almost every location you walk to or walk through. But the pin station at Disney Hollywood Studios is under the Sorcerer's Hat. At Animal Kingdom, I believe the pins are sold just outside of the large trading post store. And at the Magic Kingdom, there's two locations. There's one in Frontierland and there's one on Main Street. The Main Street Jeweler, I believe, is the biggest location. There's also a cart just as you go in the, uh, under the train station. At Downtown Disney, there is the Pin Trader. It's located uh, right near Earl of Sandwich, across from Once Upon a Toy. You will find special pins everywhere. Christmas pins, holiday pins. Uh, There are specific exclusive pins 
released every night of Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party. There's a pin that's released on that given night. If you're going to go to the party and be there on multiple days after your event, buying an extra pin or two would probably secure you one of the pins from a previous night or a night after you've attended. So usually they limit any limited edition pins to two per person. So if you're looking to trade with other people, as I say, buying an extra one or two would probably get you one that you were missing. So there you go. That's a short course on pin trading. We also talk about uh, the homogenization of Disney. Um, You're going to find holiday pins everywhere you go. It's not like you have to go to one specific location to get a pin. Any store you walk into that has pins is going to have anything for any holiday that you can imagine. So don't worry about, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to get one because I'm not going to this park today or something like that. The only exclusivity will be at the Christmas party. Those pins will not be sold at any other location or any other park. They will probably be sold at multiple locations within the Magic Kingdom, but they won't be sold at Epcot or any of the other parks. Great. Well, thank you very much for that primer on pin trading. Kevin is the uh, Kevin was very into that for a long time. He was. I was. So, all right. Our next voicemail comes to us from Marna Saunders in Kentucky, who has some questions and comments about visiting Fort Wilderness for the holidays. So here is Marna. Hello, podcast team. This is Marna calling from Kentucky. I'm P Perfect Mom on the board. I want to thank you all for doing such a great job. I look forward to listening at work each week. I do need to apologize in advance for my voice. It seems like every time I call, my allergies are acting up. But my question for you concerns visiting the world at Christmas time. Since most of our vacation money seems to be helping to build Dubai land these days, our next several trips are going to be on the cheap. We love camping, but have never really considered doing it at Walt Disney World. If we ever do camp at Fort Wilderness, it would most likely have to be in the wintertime for us to take advantage of the cooler weather. For the record, we are tent campers and won't have a big old camper to decorate. I know most of the resorts go all out during the holidays, but what sorts of festivities are happening at Fort Wilderness? Do they have decorations or do anything special like caroling for the kids? Also, does the hoop doo Review have any changes for the season? I remember when Bob did his segment on Fort Wilderness, but I can't really recall any Christmas information coming out at that time. Thanks again for all your help, and keep up the good work. Well, thank you very much uh, for that, Marna. Actually, I mean, yeah, all all locations on Disney property, all hotels, regardless, do something for Christmas, and, and Fort Wilderness is no exception. Um, I know they do, don't they do sleigh rides mm-hmm. over there? Um, there's all sorts of events, and again, you know, until it gets a little bit closer, it's hard for us to tell you definitively what is going to go on. We don't have an exact list of what they're planning this year, but uh, there are all sorts of events that go on there. You would not—I don't think you would be the least bit disappointed. No, not at all. At Fort Wilderness over Christmas mm-hmm. time. I mean, this again, uh, Fort Wilderness was uh, one of the things that Bob knew very well. So unfortunately, he would be able to speak to it much better than any of us. But one of the things that happens is the. Bob mentioned this, the people who stay there decorate their individual campsites, whether it's a trailer, whether it's a tent, or whatever it is that they do. 
So in addition to getting the Disney decorations, you're also getting the individual visitor decorations, which from what I've never seen and what I understand are spectacular and can really add to the Christmas spirit of it all. So, And I, th- I think they also do their own uh, caroling, like people will get together and carol during that time. So you're not going to miss out on any of the Christmas spirit if you stay at Fort Wilderness. Something to keep in mind, Marna, Fort Wilderness is very, very popular and you're getting to the point where if you don't have a reservation for this year, you might find it difficult to secure. Yeah, that's a good point. People, in, especially in the winter, Florida has what we call snowbirds. People who come down and spend the winter in Florida. And around the holidays, people take over these sites for long periods of time. And book them very far in advance. Book yeah. them far in advance. They book as soon as they can for the following year. And when we talk about people decorating their campsite, we're not talking, you know, putting up a a fake Christmas tree. These are mini Osborne light kind of setups. Many of them are walk through, yeah. People will take two sites, one for where they're going to stay and one for where they're going to decorate. Right. So, and they keep them for extend longer periods of time than they probably would at other times of the year. So if you're looking to get one, it's something you really should start considering now or if you're can't get one this year you might want to book one for next year exactly right well thank you very much for calling marna thank you for that information kevin and john and uh, we are actually going to wrap up our show but uh, before we do uh steven rickert who i mentioned at the beginning of the show one of our longtime listeners from uh, from saint cloud uh, had gotten frustrated with us at one point he was sending in a lot of emails and we weren't reading them one of the ways he got himself on the show was to sing us a little song. Stephen the Chantouz. And uh, so we joked around with him last week. I read one of his emails and told him I wanted a song. I told him I wanted to hear Believe by Cher just because I was trying to think for the, you know. The most difficult song you could ever sing. Well, you figure, yeah, that's going to be tough for a straight guy. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I, I should have known. I should have known that, you know, sure enough, in my, uh, it, it wasn't long either. I think that show went up on what? Uh, that show went up last Thursday, and I think in my email on Sunday. Either, no, wait, no Saturday. Saturday I had this in my email. Maybe he had this already. <laughs> yeah, he had, he had it queued up ready. But no, what he, he, what, he what, was what looking Stephen, for a reason. <laughs> what Stephen, what Stephen likes to do is Stephen kind of rewrites the words to songs. So he has a uh, he has he has done that to to believe. So. We're going to let uh, we're going to let Stephen Rickert take us out today. I want to thank everybody for calling in and writing in. Thanks everybody here at the table for your for your input, and uh, we will be back with you again next week with another edition of the Diz Unplugged. Thanks for listening, and here's Steve Rickert. No matter how hard I try, you're pushing my emails aside, and I can't. Trying is true So sad I don't hear them It takes time To think of them But after all It's said and done I'm gonna be the lucky one I can't believe You got me wrong I can feel the lanyard Round my neck I really do Believe you gave me one
so strong And I've had time to think it through It's really too good to be true Whoa. I can't believe you gave me one I can feel the lanyard on my neck I really do think I'm so lucky Whoa. I can't believe you gave me one Stephen, I know we said we're going to close the show, but you know what? Anybody who's going to do that, anybody who's wow. going to sing like that, guess, go ahead and pick a number. Stephen's pretty good. He's, cool. I'll tell you something. That takes a lot of creativity. Right. That's not so. I don't know how he managed to do that between the time we f- put the show up and the time I got that. It did not take him very long. And without a misstep. No, he. Yeah, I mean I, that was. Uh, it's a lot of creativity. Somebody who's going to put that much effort in, you get your lanyard, you get to pick a number. Hey, that was cool. So send, Ju- send Julie an email. Uh, she's on vacation this week, so don't panic if she doesn't get right back to you. But uh, let Julie know what number you want, 1 through 50. Uh, you absolutely deserve it. So, Well, thank you again for that, Stephen. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hi, Anthony. Hi, Simon. Have a great week, everybody.